we continue this exciting new series to discover scriptural principles that we can apply to several different areas in the workplace we discuss right workplace attitudes which describe who we are and determine who we become we also discuss corporate vision mission values and culture and complete this part by discussing our competitive advantage and strategy as believers let's uh, stand up and we're going to make our declaration this morning before we get into god's word so uh, let's all stand to our feet if you brought your bible with you i'd encourage you to hold it high up in the air with me and let's make our declaration together let's say this out loud bold and strong this is god's word this is god speaking to me I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I am saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of his blessing to many people. I receive his word. I believe his word and I live by his word. Christ is my master and to him I I am in absolute surrender in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. May we see it please. All right. So last Sunday we started this series on timeless principles for the workplace. uh as we mentioned we'll be on this for 8 weeks till the uh, uh 9th of august we'll be spending time talking about this um and uh, i just want to do a quick uh review/introduction and get into what we're going to cover uh this morning uh what we're really doing is we're saying you know what what does the bible teach us what does the bible say about uh our life in the workplace and many of us spend most of our lives in the workplace Monday to Friday sometimes Monday to Saturday we spend 8 hours 10 hours a day at work we're doing things at work so what does the bible say about our life in the workplace what does it say about various things that we have to deal with in the workplace and that's what this series is about as we mentioned the bible was written many many hundreds of years ago in a different period in a different age so the language is a little different the workplace in bible times had to deal with agriculture livestock uh maybe palaces and kings and battles that was the workplace in those days our day the, the the workplace is a little different you get up in the morning go to a corporate office uh you have board meetings you have business meetings you have sales calls you have we do different things today but the principles given to us in the word of god are timeless whether they were given whether although they were written and appeared several hundreds of years ago during an agricultural age they apply to us in the digital age they apply to us today and that's why we call them as timeless principles they're very relevant to us even today and so our effort here in this series is to dig back into the word of god and say okay what are those principles let's use them as you go through this book you will notice that we've quoted uh, scripture usually uh, we've quoted we've used the good news bible and the message bible in many places we've done that intentionally because uh the good news bible the message bible helps uh present that truth this the word in our language in today's language so you could it's easy to connect it's easy to relate to okay what was what what the what was the truth given then and how do i speak it how do i say that in today's world and that's why we're using um the good news bible the message bible uh, when we reference scripture 
in many places. Also, I just want to make mention here that, you know, there are about 22 chapters in this book. Uh, we have eight Sundays. So on an average, we'll have to cover three chapters every Sunday. Right? Now, three chapters a Sunday is, is like we're rushing through it. Okay? Uh, typically, you'd want to spend one Sunday on a chapter and do it. But then that makes ha- almost half a year. Uh, we don't want to spend half a year talking about this. Most of you will just say, goodbye, Pastor. <laughs> See you later. Uh, so we've, we've shortened it to eight Sundays, uh, which means uh, that in the service here on Sunday morning, in about 40 minutes, we'll only be touching on the high points, the main points. But I would encourage, I would request all of us to go back home and really study each, and each chapter, study each point. There are many scriptures under each point uh, and each principle that we've brought out. Many scriptures. So I encourage you to go home, study it. Uh, there are questions at the end of each chapter that you can ask yourself. We'd also encourage you to form small groups. Uh, just get a few of your friends together, meet regularly once a week. Uh, we know we have life groups. You can do that. Uh, but you can form additional groups. Just meet together and study chapter by chapter. Discuss it. See how you uh, uh, relate it back to your own work life and you, what you do uh, in, in your workplace. Uh, we'd also encourage you to take extra copies, lots of copies available. Take it, give it to your friend and say, look, you know, this is what we're doing in church. Would you like to come? Just invite them. They may be, in, maybe interested to, uh, to learn some of these things. So just welcome them uh, and they'll be happy to, you know, spend this time with us and in the process uh, encounter the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So do that. Take extra copies. Give it to your friends. Give it away. Mail it to people uh, uh, that you know and so on. All right. So last Sunday we covered chapter 1 and 2, but we talked about our personal preparation for the workplace. We began with a very basic, we talked about our personal vision and purpose, how uh, when you are preparing yourself professionally, uh, integrate it, make it a part of God's call on your life, God's vision and purpose on your life. Don't disconnect your work life from God's purpose for you. They're, They're integral, they're integrated, they're part of the same thing. So see your workplace, your, your work life is part of God's purpose for you. And the second thing, we, uh, so we talked about uh, having a life plan, meaning understanding God's purpose, place, uh, God, the person, place, and purpose that God wants you to become, what God wants you to grow into, the person, place, and purpose. Think about it. The next thing we talked about in chapter 2 was career plan. How you develop a career plan. Uh, this has to do deal with developing your grace, skills, uh, gifts and skills. The grace is God's empowering on your life on, on, uh, to do certain things. The gifts that you have are innate abilities that are in you that need to be developed. And skills are things that you acquire. Your, your abilities and your knowledge, your competencies that you develop. And so we talked about this last Sunday he can review these two chapters. Today, we're going to try and cover chapter 3 and 4. We were successful in doing that at South this morning. So I will attempt doing that again here at Central. Um, let's go to chapter 3 and talk about right workplace attitudes. Now, attitudes, uh, again, is part of our preparation. Uh, it's, it's how we look at things. It's how we act and react to situations. Uh, it's, it describes who we are. And attitudes are important. Because it's going to be really hard to work along with a person who may be very good in their work, but they have a terrible attitude. 
I remember my, my, my very first company that I worked, worked, worked for in the U.S., in a software company. Uh, there was this guy who was like our chief architect, software architect. He was extremely good, and Java had come out at that time, so we were all programming in Java. He was like an expert, already guru, you know, in Java. He's really expert. He built the entire framework for our, the product we were developing. And uh, he was really good, but he was dangerous to be around because he just had no manners. He was rude. He would cut anybody down. He did, I mean, doesn't matter who it was, whether it was the manager of our center, he would cut anybody down. We would never let the customers call him direct. No. <laughs> that was dangerous. They may never come back to us. You know? So all of this guy was an expert in his area. It is, you know, we had to really be careful when we went and asked him a question. You know? Very careful in our interactions with him because that was it. He, had, he was very good in his knowledge but no people's skills and terrible attitude so you know but people put up with it because he had the expertise but if it was anybody else they've probably been shown the door sent out you know so uh, attitude is very important and it, it, it affects those who work with you alongside you and in every organization you have to work along with other people it's very rare uh, that you're left to work all by yourself so attitudes are important. What attitudes can we take? What lessons can we take from the scripture in relation to workplace attitudes? And if you, if you're, uh, if you, uh, this, this whole area of workplace attitudes is, is a field of study by itself. If you go online, you'll find people doing research on workplace attitudes. You'll find people who are studying this as an area and seeing how attitudes impact organizational productivity and what can you do to improve people's attitudes in the workplace. So it's just a complete area of study by itself when it comes to organization. Uh, here are some things we, we can take with us from scripture. Uh, I'm on page 30. I'm stepping on the gas. So we're going to move. Our attitude always, almost always determines our attitude. You learn about this in Daniel chapter 6 verse 3. The Bible talks about a man named Daniel who distinguished himself from others. And an excellent spirit was in him. Meaning a man with a great attitude. An excellent spirit was in him. So the king thought of setting him over the whole realm. Now think about Daniel. He worked in three different empires. He worked for the Babylonians. Then he worked for the Medes. And then he worked for the Persians. Three different empires he, uh, that he worked under. And... Uh, this particular verse, chapter 6, verse 3, was when he was working with the Persians. And everybody in his workplace wanted him out. So can you imagine going every day to work where everybody wants to get rid of you? They are scheming. They are trying to get you out. And that's the environment Daniel was working in. You think about, man, I have bad. Dan had it, Daniel had it bad too. But the Bible says Daniel distinguished himself from everybody else. And he had an excellent spirit, a good attitude. The king said, I've got to promote this guy. I've got to put him in charge of everybody else. Your attitude always, almost always determines how high you can grow professionally. Uh, while your skills and your competencies are important, your attitude also is a factor that's taken into account when people think about promoting you. Here are some things we can do. Do all to the glory of God. This is a great attitude that when you go to work, you say, whatever I do, I want God to be glorified through this. First Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, whether you create your project reports, whether you do a sales call, whether you do uh, a marketing review, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
That means, God, I want you to be glorified. And this is a powerful motivator. See, we all need to be motivated at work. And of course, organizations try to motivate us through our monetary incentives. You know, you do this, you'll get that. And that's fine. But as believers, we've got something powerful inside us to motivate us. What? Do it to the glory of God. I want God to be glorified. Through whatever it is, I may be doing a small portion of the entire work. Let me give it my best so that God can be glorified through my work. Keep your ambition kingdom focused. And Jesus said this in Matthew 6.33. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then everything else will be added to you. So your job, your raise, your everything else, consider your work, will be added to you. Your first thing is keep his kingdom first and his righteousness. Means I want God's kingdom, his rule, his dominion to be established in me and through me. That's important. And I want to walk in his righteousness. I want to do what's right in his eyes. So you keep these things first, everything else will be taken care of. So keep your ambition in your workplace. Keep it kingdom focused. In what way can God's kingdom be established in me, through me, through my work? I want to keep that as my focus uh, as I work uh, and, and go about my professional life. Always remember there's more to life than just making money. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. So for you, for me as believers in the, in the marketplace, life is more than just making money. Yes, money has its place. But for us, there are other things. There are eternal things that we are looking at. And, and we are not, uh, you know, uh, defining our work uh, just by money. And there's several other scriptures that you can uh, uh, study on this. Always walk in the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 15 verse 16 says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a little with the fear of God. So, you know, instead of having... You walk in the fear of the Lord, walk in reverence to God as, as you go about and, and you earn whatever you earn rightfully, correctly. Better is a little with the fear of God than to have a whole lot of wealth and then have lots of people coming after you because you cheated them to make it, right? And there's no point in that kind of wealth. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord. So always walk in the fear of the Lord, meaning you, you ask yourself questions like, is this right in the eyes of God? I want to walk in reverence to God. As I, as I, you know, whatever I do in my workplace, as I interact with people, as I send my reports, as I uh, make presentations, as I state, uh, give data and information, I want to walk in the fear of the Lord. I want to do what's right and honorable in the eyes of the Lord. Carry that attitude. Carry that, uh, that inner uh, posture, if you will, into your workplace. What are some winning attitudes in the workplace? What are attitudes that will make you a winner in your place of work? The answer is very simple. The fruit of the spirit are winning attitudes. Walk in the spirit. You know, sometimes we tend to disconnect our work life from our Christian faith. And we think, you know, when I come to church, I walk in the spirit. I walk in love and joy and take care of all my, you know, friends around me. But when I go to work, I walk in a different spirit. Then I, I just do things. No, that's where in your workplace is where you and I need to walk in the spirit. Walk in the fruit of the spirit. The things that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. They need to be manifested. They need to be released in our places of work. The fruit of the spirit. 
love, joy, peace, kindness, meekness, gentleness, goodness, temperance, faith, self-control and faith. Think about an employee, think about a worker who comes to work with these kinds of qualities. That he's loving with people, he's kind, uh, he's joy, he's not like, he doesn't come there and say, oh no, I got to see this boss again. <laughs> no, he's happy, he's enthused about his work. And then he, he's walking in peace, he's, he's calm, he's composed. He's able to, no matter what happens, there is a sense of peace about it. Think about such a person at work. You'll make a difference. And you and I can be that kind of a person. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Are you all with me so far? Do your work obediently, sincerely, willingly, cheerfully. And read about this in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 5 through 8. The Bible says, Yes, slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling. Do it with a sincere heart as though you were serving Christ. Do it not only when they are watching you because you want to gain their approval. But with all your heart, do what God wants as slaves of Christ. Do your work as slaves cheerfully as though you serve the Lord and not merely human beings. Remember that the Lord will reward each of us with a slave or free for the good work we do. So now I understand, of course, he's using the term slave and masters. In modern days, we will use the terms employee and bosses or managers or team leaders or employers. The language is a little different, but the principles are same. The essence of that passage is saying when you as an employee, when you go to work, you go there as an employee of Christ. So not just an employee of IBM or HP or whatever. More than that, you are an employee of Christ. That's what he says. So you go there, I'm representing Jesus in this workplace. And then as you go there, he, he, he mentions four key attitudes. He says, do it obediently, meaning do what they say. Do it sincerely, meaning do it not just to impress or because they're watching, but do it with your whole heart. Do it willingly and do it cheerfully. Do your work this way is what, God is instructing us. And he says, when you do it this way, remember your reward comes from the Lord. Now think about this. Most of us think that our reward is dependent on only what we do in church. But that's not what this passage says. This passage says that the work you do in your workplace, that is going to be rewarded by the Lord. Amen. So pastor, but that is not spiritual work. You know, I may be building a software system. I may be, you know, doing something else. It's not very spiritual because all these things will go away. That's okay. The Bible says that work will be rewarded by the Lord. That's it. So when you do your work, show your company, your organization is going to reward you with a salary or a bonus and all of those things. That's fine. But there's something more. The Bible says your work there will be rewarded by God. And therefore, you can do it obediently, Sincerely, willingly, cheerfully, God's your rewarder. Loyalty is essential. Be faithful. Proverbs 3 verses 3 and 4 says, Never let go of loyalty and faithfulness. Tie them around your neck. Write them on your heart. If you do this, both God and people will be pleased with you. You know, loyalty is very, it's, it's hard to come by these days. You know, sometimes when you look at people's resumes, usually when, when we were hiring people for a company, we look at, you know, how often do they change jobs? If somebody's jumping jobs every six months, you know, this guy's not going to stay, right? 
And, and sometimes people don't even think about it. They keep jumping. There's no sense of loyalty. And also, when they assign things, they do it, you know, we tend to do just, okay, what can I get out of it? You're not thinking about how can, this, how can I do this work well so that I contribute towards my organization, whether it's whatever, whether it's a for-profit or not-for-profit organization. How can I contribute to it? It's very rare to find people who think that way, who do it out of a sense of loyalty towards the organization. But the Bible says here in Proverbs 3, you be loyal, you be faithful. It'll get you noticed. Be loyal. It means as long as you're in the organization, do your best for the organization. Be loyal. Jesus talked about this parable in Luke 16. Where he, he gave the story of a man who was put in charge of a business uh, and uh, he, he messed it up. And then he tried to do things to, you know, take care of his own future. And at the end of it, Jesus highlights three key things about loyalty. Uh, you find this on page 38 there. Faithfulness, Jesus said this. He said, faithfulness in small matters demonstrate your ability to be faithful in larger things. Be faithful in small things. So if you've been put in charge of two people, take, do it well. And then you can be entrusted with being in charge of five or ten or fifty people. But be faithful in small things. Secondly, Jesus taught us, he said, if you're faithful in handling money, that is financial integrity, then you can be entrusted with a whole lot bigger things. So, how do you handle money that's given to you? Maybe you're given a budget saying, you know, okay, we're allocating so much, you know, uh, whatever the amount is for, for the, your, your part of the work, whether you're doing sales or marketing, whatever you're doing, that's your budget. How do you, ma- how do you spend that money? Do you do it in a way, consciously trying to be profitable to the organization? Or you say, okay, now's my chance. Let me see which all hotels I can stay, all the flights I can make, combine my vacations with it, do all of that. Is that the way you do it? The Bible says if you're loyal, if you're faithful in the way you handle money, you can be entrusted with bigger things. Maybe your whole department, maybe your whole business unit, maybe a, an entire vertical in your organization. But you've got to be faithful in, small, in, in handling money. And thirdly, he said, you be faithful in what belongs to somebody else, then you can be entrusted with what is your own. So when you're working as part of a team, be faithful in that. Then you can be entrusted with the team that you can run. Or when you're working in a department, be faithful there. Then maybe you can be entrusted with a department that you can run. But that's how loyalty is expressed. I'm not saying that, you know, the moment you join a company, uh, you will never, you never exit. Uh, that you're going to stay there till your last working day. That's not the point. The point is, while you're there, be loyal. Are you with me so far? And Jesus taught this to us, right? Don't say, you know, pastors teach. No, Jesus said these things to us. Be accountable at all times, even when you're not asked for it. Uh, Jesus gave us this parable or the story here, and I'm just going to jump in uh, in the middle of that. It's the bottom of page 39. Essentially, he said, the servant who knows what his master wants him to do, but does not get himself ready and do it, will be punished with a heavy whipping. Now, these days, in most countries, you don't face heavy whipping, but you might get a pink slip, right? Instead of a heavy whipping. The point here is this, if you know what is expected of you, then you do what is expected of you, even when you're not being watched. That's the story Jesus gave us. That's being accountable. So in everything that is assigned to you, be accountable. An attitude of accountability uh, in, in small things and big things. You know, thinking that, look, at the end of the day, I need to report back to my supervisor, my team leader, or even my own team. I need to report back and say, this is what I did with what was given to me. 
a sense of accountability. Carry that attitude with you. Page 41. Be passionate. If your heart is not in it, get in or get out. Proverbs 11 verse 8 says, Bad work gets paid with a bad check. Good work gets solid pay. Now, it's so easy to tell, you know, when somebody is doing a job, just because it's a job. You know, they just kind of just making it. You don't see that extra effort. You don't see them going at a second mile. They're just doing it to get it off their task list, you know. You can always tell when somebody's working with that. There is no passion. And I want to tell you, look, if, you don't, if you're not passionate about it, you got to check up and either you get in or get out. What's holding you back from being passionate about your work? Find out. Address those issues. If you can't address it, get out. It's terrible as a manager, as a thing, to have somebody who comes into work, they sit there for 40 hours, but the actual work they give is a 20-hour work. But they're sitting there for 40 hours. It's so difficult for managers. What do I do with somebody? I can't give him more work because the work I've already given him is hardly getting done. How can I handle it? So it's unfair to your boss. It's unfair to your organization to not be passionate about what you're doing. And so get in there, be passionate, or get out. Maintain integrity and truthfulness always in all things. Proverbs 10 verse 9. He who walks with integrity walks securely. But he who perverts his ways will become known. Meaning in everything, your attitude, you are determined that you're going to walk with integrity. I'm going to do this right. Legally, morally, ethically. I'm going to do this right. You walk with integrity. And that's your place of security. Nobody can point a finger at you. But if you're not walking with integrity, you're walking on shaky ground. You'll be exposed. You'll be made known. And trouble will come. So that's another important attitude that you carry. Work hard. There is no substitute for diligence, no place for laziness. Proverbs 10 and verse 4 says, He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Be diligent in your work. Work hard. Put in that extra effort. Be industrious. Uh, be meticulous. Be thorough. Be careful. Be attentive in what you're doing. And it says if you, if the hand of the diligent makes rich. That's going to bless you. Cause you to profit. So be diligent about your work. And there are several scriptures here on page 43. Where the Bible talks to us about laziness. And the consequence of laziness. Uh, uh, I'll just pick up there on the second paragraph. Proverbs 12.24. The hand of the diligent will rule. But the lazy man will be put to forced labor. Meaning, if you're diligent, you'll be moved into, into leadership. Uh, if you're not, then you're just going to be working under somebody else. Proverbs 12, 27. If you're lazy, you will never get what you're after. But if you work hard, you will get a fortune. Third parag- fourth paragraph, Proverbs 13, verse 4. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. That means you've got a desire, but you follow that up with diligence. And that will bring you success. Uh, and the, then the bottom paragraph there, Proverbs 18, verse 9, a lazy person is as bad as someone who is destructive. Think about that. If I'm lazy, I'm actually being destructive. I'm actually being wasteful uh, in my organization. So there are several scriptures on this. Let's go to page 44. Don't just be busy, be productive. Even God looks for it. You know, even God looks for fruit in our lives. It's not enough to be abiding in Jesus, but the abiding in Jesus should produce fruit. And God looks for it. And if that's the way he deals with our spiritual life, then definitely in every other area of life, God looks for the same thing. Are you being productive? 
Are you bearing fruit? Are you contributing? Are you doing something that's meaningful, that's making a difference? So don't just be busy. Okay, I'm sitting and doing things. No, are you being productive? Are you getting things done? Are you uh, accomplishing those goals that were given to you? Are you uh, meeting those requirements or the expectations? Be productive, not just busy in your work. What do you do with your time? Page 45. What you do with your time is up to you. Don't waste it. Proverbs 28 verse 19. A hardworking farmer has plenty to eat. People who waste time will always be poor. Don't waste your time. And I want to encourage you young people as, as early in life as you can. Learn how to manage your time properly. And one of the good things to do, or one of the key things to do in managing your time is to have a schedule. Because when you have a schedule, you are determining ahead of time what you're going to do in your time. So, you know, if you want to meet somebody, don't just tell them, just show up. No. Put it down in your schedule. I meet with you from 1.30 to 2.30. So you know that time is to meet that person. Outside of that is what you have time to do other things. So you have a schedule and start early. I I don't think it's very difficult even for a a, a 10th grader, 11th grader to have a schedule. Plan what you're going to do. Okay, maybe a big part of your day is going to school, coming back. What do you do after that? I play for two hours. What do you do after that? I study for another two hours, three hours. So you do your schedule. And then as you keep moving up, uh, you know, go to college, the schedule, you, know, you, you have a schedule. And the, the whole habit of having a schedule is to help you manage your time and make sure your time is not wasted. Otherwise, at the end of the day, you'll be like, okay, what did I do with my time today? Rather than looking at it retroactively, you preempt, you be proactive. You manage your schedule. This is what I'm going to do with my day. Are you all with me so far? Yeah. And so, you can be productive when you do that. You can, uh, uh, you know, and in the workplace, you make sure you manage your time. Have, page 46, have a passion for excellence. Proverbs 22, verse 29 says, Observe people who are good at their work. Skilled workers are always in demand and admired. They don't take a back seat to anyone. Somebody's really good in their work. They're excellent in their work. They are in demand and admired. Meaning people say, okay, let's let me get that guy on the team. Let's put him on. Let's give him this opportunity. And they're admired. That, that guy's really good. And they don't take a back seat to anybody else. Meaning they're the first one in, to be called out. By who? People who are good in their work. So have a passion for excellence. When I do something, I want to do it well. I want to give it my best. I'm not saying have an obsession for perfection. That's a little crazy. That's But work well. Be passionate about doing a good work. I remember this was um, when I was in the U.S. and I was working in a company in Chicago. We were building a software for a pharmacy company at that time. Still, I think they're still using it. And uh, I remember, you know, we had a delivery on a certain day. Uh, and and, uh, and uh, that particular day, we had actually fly out to Dallas and do a presentation for, the organiz- uh, for them. And, and that particular week was intense. And I was be staying up till 4 o'clock in the morning, coding, testing. Uh, and I was responsible for a certain part of it. We were doing, working with drugs and uh, drug interactions and all that. So we had to write that software that will, you know, display the results of drug interactions and all that. And, and, and so it was intense. And uh, it was hard that, that week, but I really wanted to make sure there was absolutely zero defects in my work. That was passion that drove me. And uh, 
And uh, uh, that Friday, uh, did the release, flew there to Dallas, and, and uh, you know, had this meeting with all the people. And the CTO of that organization came to me personally. He shook my hands and said, "You've done a great work." To me, that was a thrill to know that I did such a work that the CTO would come personally to me and tell me you did a great work. Yeah. Of course, we worked as a team and, and all of that, but for somebody to respond, to recognize our work. But what was driving me? Passion to do the best I can. I'm not saying every time you build software, you get it perfect. You never do. Uh, you know, you've got to go through many iterations. But the, the point is that you are striving to be excellent in your work and you get noticed. So I want to encourage us as, as believers, let's do it with passion for the glory of God. Proverbs 1 and verse 5, a wise man will hear and increase learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsels. A wise man will hear and increase learning. See, some people, some of us think, man, the moment I graduate, ah, don't have to study anymore. Actually, the moment you graduate, that's when your real education begins. Welcome to the real world. <laughs> that stuff in college, that was easy. You just had to study what's in your book. But in the real world, you're going to face situations, uh, you know, encounter challenges that nobody's necessarily written about. You've got to make decisions on your feet. You've got to handle situations. That's the real world. That's your real education. And so, in your professional life, you've got to have this, this, this passion to learn. Never stop learning. Keep learning. Because things, in fact, are changing. Those who deal with technology, you know how things are changing all the time in technology. Uh, and, and in so many other areas, almost every aspect of our life eventually is touched by uh, technology and affected by it. And so, so many things are changing. You need to keep learning all the time. The beautiful thing is we have access to knowledge, access to information. Now, 20 years ago, if you want to learn something, you know, we didn't have internet access. So you had to go buy, look for a book, search for a book, try to find out. But today, oh, just get online. You can learn so much. And there, is, there are so many online courses and, uh, uh, you know, so many uh, online platforms, whether it's Coursera, edX, or Udacity. So many other co- places where you can just go learn stuff. You can do courses by leading professors from leading universities for free, sitting in your home. All available. On any topic almost, whether it's technology or anything, it's all available there. Don't even have to pay all those huge dollars to get your, you can sit in your home and do those courses for free. But you've got to have a desire to learn. Never stop learning. Keep learning. Learn by watching others. Learn by observing others. Learn by asking questions. Uh, learn by, you know, just, just processing your experiences continuously learn. Last uh, point here in attitudes. Stay calm, stay focused when the unexpected happens. Proverbs 3, 25 and 26 says, no need to panic over alarms or surprises or predictions that doomsday is just around the corner because God will be right there with you. He'll keep you safe and so in the workplace there are, there will be times when the unexpected happens. You know, maybe a sales deal you are hoping will close just got abandoned. So it wasn't even postponed. I said, sorry, we're out of it. Or maybe a product launch that you thought it's going to launch great and it ended up miserable. 
Uh, the unexpected will happen. Uh, and so many things can happen. You may get feedback. You may get uh, information that, that shocks you, that startles you. What does the Bible say? Stay calm because God is right there with you and he will see you through. He'll keep you safe and sound. So that's a very important attitude that when things are rough and things are difficult, you need people to be calm and say, look, let's find the solution. How do we go forward? Not people who's like, oh man, you know, they press the panic button, everybody else around them, like they're not only trying to manage the situation, they're trying to manage the person also. And then imagine if you have three or four people like that on your team who press the panic button. Whoa, that's a nightmare then. You know, how are you going to manage the situation and the people? So stay calm in every situation. Because God's in there with you, he'll get you through with it. Amen? Can you work on these attitudes? All right. Now, let's just go forward to the next chapter. I'll try to complete that before we close this morning. Now, in section two of this book, we begin to deal with the organization itself. So section one, these first three chapters was dealing with us as individuals, our preparation for our professional lives. In section two, now we start dealing with the organization, talking about the organization itself and various aspects of organizational activity. What does scripture say about that? Now, some of us may say, okay, that doesn't interest me too much. I'm just, you know, responsible for something small. I just do recruiting or I just do the firing or, you know, I just, <laughs> I just do something small in my organization. So all these other aspects of the organization don't matter to me. Well, I think you should be interested because eventually being a part of the organization, in some way you are affecting, you're contributing towards those aspects of your organization and those aspects aspects of the organization do impact you in some way or the other and so uh, as we talk about different aspects of the organization it's important for all of us to understand it especially a biblical perspective and and and, and learn to relate to it correctly now some of you may be business owners you are heads of business units uh, and so some of these things will direct you know you may be having your hands in many different things because uh, of your position and uh, therefore, a lot of these things will definitely relate to you immediately, and, and you'll be able to apply it. But uh, I want all of us to engage here. Uh, chap- uh, chapter 4, we begin, first of all, when we talk about organization, we begin, uh, of course, by talking about the corporate vision, the mission, the values, and the culture. And we just uh, see what the scriptures can teach us on, on these things. Vision of an organization simply means, why does this organization exist, and where do we want to go? That's the dream. Where do we want to go? So that's the vision of the organization. And hopefully, most organizations do have a vision. So what's the vision of all people's church? Ah, phew. Okay. 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 Phew. Our vision is to be salt and light in the city of Bangalore. A voice to our nation and to the... That's what we want to become. That's where we are headed. We are not there yet, but we're making a journey. So that's our vision. The mission then describes how we're going to get to our vision. How are we going to get there? What are the things we're going to do in order to become that, in order to fulfill that vision? So that's your mission. So on a daily basis, you're engaged with the mission of your organization. You're doing something as part of that mission. You, You have a part to play. Every day you're engaging with the mission of the organization in order to take the organization to fulfill its vision. The values then, the values describe the 
guiding principles that the organization, the employees in the organization adhere to in order to carry out the mission, in order to do their business activity. Here are some principles. They are defined or described by the values that the organization has. Now, uh, some, uh, not all every organization would have uh, uh, overtly stated values, but in essence, every organization is a value-based organization, just that in some cases, those values may be missing or may be misplaced. And every leader is a values-based leader because he's got certain values through which he's making his decisions. So you can't uh, absolve yourself from saying, I don't have any values. No. The fact that you don't have values is indicative that you will do certain things a certain way. Values are important. And then culture. Culture describes the work environment. It describes the environment that you come into and uh, engage with. What can we learn from scripture on these things? Proverbs 29, your vision influences productivity. Proverbs 29 verse 18, where there is no revelation, where there is no clear vision, clear word, the people are lawless. They cast off restraint, meaning the people don't have anything to guide them to where to go, what to do. They just go around at random, haphazardly. So what is a vision? The vision is compelling. A vision is what keeps people together. A vision is what uh, motivates people. It's what mobilizes people. So a vision is going to determine productivity. Because when people are working together, they're able to accomplish things. They're going to make impact the productivity of the organization. So vision is important. So for instance, if we tell you, you know, uh, uh, we're going to go on a trip to Orissa. Coming up in October. We're going to go on a missions there to Orissa. Now, immediately, almost all of us will understand why we're doing it. We say, oh, we're going to be a voice to our nation. That's why we're going there. Or any other part of the world. Nobody's going to say, ah, why do you want to go to Orissa? You're going to go for a holiday? (laughs) No, we're not going for a holiday. We're going to do missions. We're going to be a voice to our nation. And the fact that we have a vision like that will mobilize people. They say, yes, I want to go. Because that's part of the organization's vision. It's part of us, our vision, to be a voice to the nation. So let's go. Let's do it. Let's carry out this vision. So it impacts the way people work together and productivity. Vision Write it, repeat it, repeat it again. God spoke to Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. He said, right, now, now Habakkuk was in a time when uh, the people were discouraged. They had been working on rebuilding the temple. Uh, that work had been stopped now for about 13 years. And, and people were in a sense of a state of discouragement. And so God speaks to Habakkuk. He says, Habakkuk, I'm going to give you a word, but I want you to write it. Engrave it in stone because uh, when people see it, I want them to be enthused. I want them to run with it. I want them to be inspired. And I also want you to put it, engrave it in stone because the vision is for an appointed time. It's for a time in the future. It's got to be written down. So the vision has to be written down. It has to be communicated to people so it can move people into action. And it has to be kept in front of people because it's going to take some time for the vision to be fulfilled. Are you with me? Amen? So now you understand why every Sunday when the video star announcement starts, we begin with the vision. Right? So we do it intentionally every Sunday. We play it over and over. We've been doing that for years now. Every Sunday we say, the vision of all people's church is to be 
So even if you were not paying attention, just some part of it will get into you. So when we wake you up in the middle of the night, we say, which church you go to? I got all people say, what's the vision? <laughs> and you'll still be able to say the vision. Because you've heard it every Sunday. So the vision has to be repeated. Otherwise vision leaks. People forget what we are here for. And so we repeat it over intentionally every Sunday. A compromised vision leaves people confused. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6, 22 to 23. He said, the lamp of the body is the eye. Meaning, what gives the body light is your vision. If the vision is blurred, if the vision is not clear, then the whole body is in darkness. Meaning, if you don't have a clear vision, the rest of the body doesn't know where to go, what to do. The whole body is like in darkness. But if the vision is clear, then the whole body has a light. The whole body knows what to do, where to go. So, a blurred vision or a lack of vision or a compromised vision leaves the rest of the organization in darkness. Are you with me so far? Right? So, a blurred vision, meaning a vision that has not been communicated clearly. People don't really know what it is. Or a compromised vision. We say one thing, but the leaders are making decisions that actually contradict the vision. Or they're going in a direction that's totally opposed to the vision. Then it leaves people in darkness. They don't know what to do. Or a lack of vision. We don't even have a vision, so what are you going to do? I don't know. Right? So a vision has to be clear. It has to be communicated clearly. It has to be maintained. Page 56. State your mission loud and clear. This is what Jesus did when he began his ministry. In Luke chapter 4, 18 through 19, he stated his mission. He said, the spirit of God's upon me. I'm going to preach the gospel, heal the brokenhearted, bring deliverance to the captives, sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. I'm going to do these things. And the rest of his ministry, he went about doing those very things. He stated his mission. This is what I'm going to go do. And he did it. So state your mission clearly and stick with it. Go about doing it. Values. Clarify what you really stand for. This is page 57. In 1 Corinthians 14 verse 8, the Bible says, if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? Now in those days, when they wanted to rally people for action, for battle, they would sound a trumpet. So when people heard the sound, recognized the sound, they would rally together. They'd drop what they're doing, get the swords, get into the place where they're going to go into action. So Paul writes here, he says, look, if the trumpet is giving an uncertain sound, it's not a loud and clear, compelling sound, how are people going to mobilize themselves for battle? How are they all going to come together to act and behave in a certain way? So, so also, if the values of the organization are are not stated clearly, how are people going to adhere to those principles or those values? Everyone's going to do whatever they think is right, and it may not always be aligned to the values of the organization. So, you need to state your values. What what are your values? What are are important to you as an organization? On page 59, for example, we may mention some values, you know, integrity, uh, excellence could be one. We value people, or we value creativity, or we value togetherness, unity. These, you know, this is an example. What are the values of your organization that, that guide the decisions and the activities that people carry out in it? Page 59, create a culture aligned to your vision 
mission and values. Create a culture, an environment in your organization that's aligned to your vision, mission, and values. Now, Nehemiah was a man with a great vision. And if you study Nehemiah, uh, you find these things coming out in that book. When Nehemiah, uh, he had a vision. He wanted to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. They had been destroyed by the Babylonians. So he had a vision. I need to go, I need to get those walls up again. So he had a vision. And he came to Jerusalem. And he communicated the vision to the people there. He said, oh, let's, let's do this work. Let's rebuild the walls of the city. And he talked about the favor God had, had, had on his life that enabled him to come to that place. Then he described the mission. This is how we're going to do it. The walls of the, the city of Jeru- the walls of the city of Jerusalem had ten gates. So basically, he said, "We're going to break this down. We're going to, you know, do this task breakdown, a work breakdown structure. All those people who live by each section of the wall, you will be responsible for your section of the wall. So you get up out of your house, go to work, build your wall, go back home. So no commuting, nothing, right? So very easy. So this is how we're going to rebuild the wall, wall of the city." Ten sections, those are living in each section, build your section of the wall. And so he described the mission. Then he, along with the people, he defined the values of how, of what, what the beliefs are. Three things stand out in chapter two. God is with us in this work. Because he said, God's brought me, his favor is with me. God's with us. Second, we are all going to work. Everyone's going to do it. And third, nobody's going to stop us. Because they were opposers to this whole mission. They wanted to hinder the, the walls from being built. But that was the values. He, he, he put into the people there in chapter 2. They were all with one mind. God's with us. We're all going to work. Nobody's going to stop us. They held on to it. And then what you see is this. Amazingly, Nehemiah created a culture with which people were going to work. What do we see there in, in those first five chapters, six chapters of Nehemiah? You find out the culture. Everybody worked. Whether you were a Levite, your priest, your ruler, whatever you were, everybody put their hands to the dirt, lifted the bricks, put the mortar on the stones. They did work. Everybody worked. Nobody was exempted. Secondly, you find that they all work with heart and mind. Everybody put their whole heart and mind to it. We find that they all supported each other. So while some people were working, others were standing God, protecting their backs with a sword, lest the enemy would come. And uh, he encouraged people, the rulers, to be generous. He said, you know, there are people here uh, who owe you money. I want you to cancel their debt. And he set the example. He canceled debts of people and, and said, look, we're not going to hold anybody in obligation. We're going to cancel debts. We're going to work together. So the rulers did that. And then Nehemiah led by example. During that time, Nehemiah did not take any of the benefits that he could have had as a governor. He refused those benefits and he just worked like a commoner. And, and he set the example and it defined, it created the culture of that whole environment. They were all able to work together and they finished rebuilding the, the walls of the entire city in 52 days. So now, create the culture that you want as a leader. Maybe it's in your team, create the culture. In your office, in your workplace, create a culture. Now you decide what culture you want and what you want. For instance, uh, when we started a software company, I, I said, okay, we, nobody's going to have private workspaces, no cabins. I'm not saying you should do it. I'm just saying something we det- I determined from the very beginning. So our office was just a big hall with just tables everywhere, no cubicles. Why? I wanted to create a sense of openness. We are all just working together. 
And there were times when I, I had a cabin, but most of the time the door would be open. Anybody can come and talk to me. Or there would be times I would be sitting outside. Eventually I just moved outside. Sitting outside with everybody else working together. Why? We want to create a culture where everything is open. There is no hierarchy. We can talk to each other. If I have to talk privately to somebody, then of course we go sit in a, in a cabin and we talk. But that's something. You create a culture in your organization. What do you want? All people's search office is the best place to work. We've got a great culture. We, we like family. We can you know, talk. We can share. And, and again, if you come to the church office, there's another thing you'll find. Everything is glass. It was done intentionally. That means everything has, is going to be open. Everything is clear. You can ask any question. You can do what you want. It's, it's, it's us saying this is the kind of culture we want to have uh, in our work environment. Uh, there is constant supply of foods. So you can make your own tea, coffee, biscuits. What do you want? Have it. And we don't have an office boy serving you tea and coffee. If you want tea and coffee, make it yourself. Why? I'll do the same work. Right? So just simple things. I'm not against, you know, if you want to have cabins, you want to have these things, or you want to have people serving tea. All that is fine. That, you know, you suit yourself, but that, that's all fine. But what I'm saying is think about the kind of culture you want to create. And be intentional about it. Especially if you're a leader. Especially if you're in a position where you can determine the culture. Create the culture. Here are some examples of, of what you'd want as your uh, culture. One of leadership, of page 63. Uh, one of leadership and innovation. A, a, a culture where people connect, cooperate, collaborate, collaborate. We work together. There's a sense of teamwork. Or being transparent and honest. So you can create that. Or equality and respect. Doesn't matter, you know... Which rung of the ladder you're on. It doesn't matter what your role is. We're all equal. We respect one another. Uh, sharing and caring. So you say, look, we're not here just to work together. We want to take, uh, take at least some time to care for each other's lives, uh, families. Uh, go beyond just the fact that we all have to come and work together. Uh, uh, fun and laughter. It's okay to crack jokes in the workplace. Amen. It's, work, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to you know, have fun when you work. You create that culture as a leader. Uh, and you, discern, you, you determine that. Set that in place. Last two things, we close. Page 64. History is important. Capture it. Repeat it. In the book of Judges, chapter 2, verse 7 through 11, we find a very interesting uh, situation in the, in the history of Israel. After Moses, Joshua was a leader. Joshua was a great leader. He brought the people in. They, they took possession of the land of promise. Joshua died. But here's what happened. The generation that came after Joshua, they forgot the history. They forgot the great things God had done through Moses and Joshua. Nobody told them those stories. Nobody told them, look, this is the great things God has done. You know, he brought water out of the rock and this and that. So a generation came and they did not know the history. And so what happened? They all wandered around doing their own thing. History is important. Repeat it. Retell the stories of, you know, this is where we've come. This is the journey we've made. Here are those amazing moments of success. But here are also those, those moments of failure, the lessons we've learned. Repeat the stories of your organization. Talk about it or your team or whatever. Talk about the history. Because history is important to interpret the present and to prepare for the future. So that's why we need to know the history. So talk about, retell stories. Even as a church, we talk about our stories. We talk about our experiences, the lessons we've learned, the successes we've had, the great things God's done. Why? 
because history helps us understand the present, prepare for the future. Last point, success stories are invigorating. Share them. Proverbs 25, verse 25 says, As cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. Good news, sharing good news, talking about it, invigorates people. It, it, it's like cold water to somebody who's really thirsty. It refreshes people. So when you have success stories in your organization, create a culture where people share those stories, uh, not to brag about themselves, but to share successes so that everybody celebrates. Celebrate the people who brought about that success. Celebrate uh, the, the, the hard work that went in. So then people understand, you know, your hard work is going to be celebrated. The success, we're going to enjoy it together. Celebrate success. It refreshes everybody in the organization. Are you with me? Are you all going to sleep? <laughs> Let's stand. Scholar worship team up, please. Please bring this book with you uh, every Sunday till um, the uh, 9th of August uh, when we will finish this series. I'd encourage you to please go back and study this in detail and uh, start making it part of your professional life, of your work life, uh, and use it wherever you are. As we stand here this morning, would you pray about just one thing that may have spoken to your heart this morning? Maybe it had to do with your workplace attitude, or maybe it was something else that was said that spoke to your heart. Could you just pray about it this morning? And just talk to the Lord and say, God, I heard this. It meant something to me. Give me the grace to act on it. Give me the grace to do it. Give me the grace to practice it. And God, we just invite you by your spirit this morning just to move upon each of our lives because each one of us matter for your kingdom, God. Each one of us are extremely important for your kingdom. As we go out from this place and go into our schools or colleges or places of work our homes or communities our life matters for your kingdom so I just invite you by your Holy Spirit to touch every heart touch every life of God invites the Lord into your work life and your professional life and say God I dedicate this to you reign in me God reign through me let your kingdom come even through my professional life I realize some of us may be students and just come at that come at your studies to the Lord and say God even through my studies and what I go through in college let your kingdom come prepare me for what lies ahead the rest of us, just pray and say, God, let your kingdom come through my professional life, my work life. If you're a homemaker, say, God, use me. Even here in my home, what I'm doing, use me. Let your kingdom come.
just going to worship God for a few minutes and I just want you to invite God, invite the Lord, His kingdom through your professional life. This is my desire to honor Father, we just pray and ask that through each one of our lives, you will have your way, God. Your, your kingdom purpose will be released through each of our lives. Tomorrow as we, most of us, many of us go to work and engage in the workplace. Help us to go there with good attitudes. 
Help us to go there walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Help us, Lord. Help us to go there and let Christ be seen. Let, let excellence come forth and let Jesus be glorified in our lives. Help us to be truly, truly salt and light where you've placed us, O oh God. Even our schools and our colleges, help us. Thank you, Lord. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.